Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. If I told you I knew a dairy farmer who's moved 2,000 kilometres south over three separate moves, all because he's chasing more favourable conditions, you'd probably think I'm winding you up. G'day, I'm Drew Radford and this is actually a true story and it began in Queensland's Darling Downs and so far it ends in Gippsland. It's perhaps a story that best illustrates this season of Agvic Talk where we're taking a virtual climate bus tour to see how farmers are dealing with climate variability. Today, our first stop is just outside Wonthaggy where we're dropping into the property of Daryl Hoey. It's a dairy farm milking somewhere in that 340, 350 cows and like a, all of Gippsland, it's just past your base. Daryl, you got dairy kind of flowing through your veins and it started a long time ago, a family property, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, so um, my great-grandparents settled in on the Darling Downs in Queensland in 1880. So my um, grandfather had a father and I was share farming and working for my parents up till 1993 on that farm. What happened in 1993 that made you move? About 1992 or so would have been the start of a very long, prolonged drought in Queensland. Probably lasted nearly 10 years. And in April 1993, Lani and I got married. So the farm wasn't big enough and didn't generate enough income. We were only 100 cows to support both families. Dad wanted me to go and work in town or drive a fertiliser truck or do something like that, but all I ever wanted to do was be a dairy farmer. So Lani and I left the family farm in late June that year and started share farming at Stanhope in the Goulburn Valley in 1993. That's a big thing to move that far away and move away from the family operation as well. It was really difficult and it took many years and I'm talking 15, 20 years before those wounds were healed that I was the one that had walked away from creating another generation on that farm. I think it was only when Dad actually put the farm on the market in 2005 and realised what the farm was worth and how hard it would have been for Lani and I to have purchased the farm at that price and and make it pay that he realised that we'd probably made the right decision. But it took a long time for Mum and Dad to come to terms with that. You've gone on to become a successful dairy farmer in your own right and you were in the northeast of Victoria. But you've pulled up stumps to move. Why was that? There was a number of different factors and some of it was around the seasonality and the conditions. Some of it was around where I thought the Murray-Darling Basin plan was headed and whether or not it would ever land in a, in a good space. But ultimately the reason I did leave was where I thought that the long-term effects on climate change was going to be. And there will always be a dairy industry in northern Victoria. It won't be the same as it is now, but I have been following the climate change for close on 15 years now. And I've looked at the models and I've looked at the science and I have a fairly good understanding of how it's playing out and what the modelling and the predictions are saying. And 
if we were to continue and 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 northern victoria specifically where the modeling is telling us that we're looking at 20 25 30 days a year over 45 degrees what we were experiencing three or four years ago is just going to be more of the same and even harder down the track and that's not the way that i wanted to farm other people were adapting they were changing their what they were growing a lot more maize a lot more intensification more machinery and that's not what i wanted to do or how i wanted to farm and others might be able to adapt or chose to adapt and even if water got cheaper in years or even if there was some changes to the way you farmed I still didn't want to go down the intensification path of um, relying on barns and big sheds to house cows and, and things like that. And I've always had a philosophy in farming that you invest in appreciating assets, not depreciating assets. And appreciating assets are basically land, water and cattle and depreciating assets is concrete and machinery and sheds. And I did not want to go to the bank and have to borrow another million dollars or two million dollars or whatever to go down that path i would have rather invested that money in more land and so that's why we just one of the really the crux of why we chose to move to a a pasture-based higher rainfall area your logic there is really really clear and and so interesting to hear it laid out like that so you've made the move you did invest in land though because i'd imagine that move from the northeast to wonthaggy would have been a straight one-for-one one trade. It wasn't that far off it in reality. All, all we borrowed was for the extra 80 acres for the extra size of the, the property. But for what we were able to sell the farm for up north and the water pretty much covered what we paid for the farm here other than the extra 80 acres. So it wasn't that much of um, expense to the move. I can imagine it would take its toll, Daryl. So you've moved really from hot and irrigated area to, depending on natural rainfall, and sounds like quite cool. What are some of the major differences you're finding in terms of farm practices moving from one location to the other? Realising how much more cows need to eat in wintertime to stay warm and, and maintain body condition was a, something you're a lot more aware of. The farm that we've bought is actually on a floodplain, so we might only get 25 or 30 or 40 mil of rain, but the catchment above us, all that water comes through. So dealing with the floods and the water management on this farm is at a whole new scale and certainly takes a lot of lot of time. Yeah, dealing with mud and things like that, it, it is hard work. It is really hard work dealing with wet winters. It takes its toll and takes its toll on the cattle too with things like mastitis and and sore feet and general health conditions. Are there practices that you've been able to bring from the northern area to where you're farming now that have helped? I probably forgot about a lot of those practices from when I was a very pasture-based farmer back in the 90s and the early 2000s. I've had to relearn a lot of things um, that I'd almost forgotten about. But getting back to understanding grass growing again is um, taking a bit of time and also, in North Victoria, you apply water, you apply urea in 21 days or whatever, you put the cows back in the paddock. But 
knowing that there's no water to put on the paddock here in the over the summer and 100% reliant on rainfall, it, it takes a different mindset as well. Daryl, from what I understand, this move has really been driven as a business decision. Has it paid off? From a financial perspective and a superannuation perspective, it was a, a really smart decision. But in saying that, land prices all across Victoria and Australia have gone up too, no matter where you are. But I think from a superannuation perspective and our retirement perspective, it was a really good decision. But it has come at a cost and a price. And the thing that we missed the most and the thing that we probably perhaps not sure say took for granted, but you just don't realise it until you haven't got it, is the loss of all your friendships and networks. And that is something that Lani and I often discuss is that we just don't, our best friends are, are still up north and sometimes you would like to have been there with them and, and support them as well and go through things that they've been through. That's a very big consideration, isn't it? You know, the, the economic trade-off versus the lifestyle reality of that move. This has also been focused on setting you up. This is your superannuation decision. So it's an interesting way up. And we were told and realised after we moved here that our kids have all moved on from school and are now at university, got their jobs. We're not involved in the local school. We're not involved in local sporting clubs. So you haven't got that easy in to um, get to know people or, or make friendships and things like that. You just don't realise how much that sense of um, belonging and that sense of friendship and networks, how important that is to just your own personal growth and your fulfilment until you um, it's no longer there. Daryl, lastly, in wrapping up, given climate uncertainties, what is one piece of advice you'd like to give to someone starting out? All amounts of success come from hard work and a little bit of luck. But it's also about surrounding yourself with good people and good advice. And I have almost had a whole career of listening to, trying to understand what people way smarter than me that study things like climate change or government policy, research. Um, I have listened to them and I've surrounded myself with a lot of farmers that have also of um, a similar mindset. So when I make farming decisions, it's based off evidence and it's based off facts and it's got information and numbers behind it. So if you're starting out or moving somewhere, understand where you're moving to or how you're wanting to farm as to how the climate, both short-term and long-term, is going to impact on how you're going to farm and the region that you're farming in. Daryl Hoey throughout his career has pondered some hard questions about what he hopes to achieve. For some, though, the questions aren't always clear. So the team at Agriculture Victoria have developed a process to help bring some clarity. They're called the five big questions and they're designed to help deal with change. A person who takes farmers through them is seasonal risk agronomist with Agricultural Victoria, Dale Gray. He's also someone who's lived through on-farm change. Yeah, I come from a, a cropping property uh, in the southeast Mallee, a little place called Metian, which is sort of about 50 k's uh, southwest of Swan Hill, where I grew up there. And my dad was, we were a mixed farmer. And then in the 1982 drought, we got out of uh, 
livestock. My dad never really liked them. Uh, and we've been cropping ever since there. And my dad's since retired. I'm in the department as, a, as an agronomist and a climate specialist. And my and my brother's now the, the farmer back there at Median. Well, that's a long connection. And, you know, you're still in the game well and truly now helping other farmers with advice. Dale, during the millennium drought, I understand you and your colleagues were starting to go, well, how do we formulate an approach to help farmers? What did the team come up with? Well, they were challenging times, Drew. Um, We'd had many successive years of dry conditions. We sort of had triple years in a row, which is enough to make any farming business really struggle. And the sort of the stuff of helping out farmers that we're generally doing was just not going to cut it. It just simply wasn't going to help people when they were really, really struggling. My team compatriot at the time, Chris Sounis, who was based at Horsham, in discussions with other people in the department, like uh, our rural demographer, Neil Barr, and economists at uh, Horsham, Carl Soodholes, and, and other team members over there. Chris came up with this concept of five big questions. And Chris is very well read, so I'm quite confident some of it sort of came from some of the material he'd read over time as well. But he really distilled into five simple things that people needed to ask themselves about their farm. And as you'll see, Drew, is that when you look at these five big questions, they could pertain to anyone's stage in life, really. That's actually a really valid point. These are big picture questions. Can you list them out for me? The first one is, are you enjoying what you're doing? The second one is, can you sustain the effort? The third is, Is your family supporting what you're doing? The fourth is, are you living a lifestyle that you're happy with? And the fifth one is, have you enough to retire on? And if you can't answer yes to all of those, you've got a problem somewhere that's going to be causing grief somewhere down the track. Either you're masochistic and just keep on going, or you might need to consider doing something different. Dale, that's summary you just gave at the end of that is really, really good because obviously farmers at that time were going through one of the toughest, if not toughest times they experienced. So that that's time for serious reflection and that's what that list is about to me. It's all about serious reflection and as I suggested, it, it doesn't matter whether you're an agronomist or you're an accountant or you're a housewife. These questions, you know, if you can't answer yes to all of those, there's probably something in your life that's causing you to be unhappy And if it doesn't change, it'll cause issues. So uh, farming is really no different. It's like any other business. It was interesting, Drew, because coming from where I come, I I have an empathy with these sort of questions in farming, but I'm not an accountant. I'm not a farm um, economist. I'm not a rural uh, councillor. So in many respects, uh, our team found difficult, I suppose, to engage these questions with people, um, particularly if they're not questions you ask yourself, Drew, uh, very often. And they're Probably not for many of us, but it became apparent that to help people out, the stuff that we'd been doing before wasn't going to cut it, and we probably did have to have some harder or more thought-provoking discussions. Dale, how did you and the team use these questions to assist family farms? I understand they were distilled down a bit further. Well, exactly right. It was really about the five big options that people could undertake. And of course, there's many if things in these options. They're quite simple, but if you tease them out, they're much more complex. But the first one, using tools and skills to remove income volatility, could be examples of like changing your varieties in, or regrafting an orchard using 
precision ag or robotic milking or, you know, potentially going organic, something like that. Uh, what's the second option? The second option, capturing more profit along the value chain. You might decide to start buying your inputs, inputs direct and cutting out the middle person um, or selling, you know, stuff that you were generally throwing away that wasn't being valued or, or potentially processing uh, what you produce. That all makes perfect sense. What's number three? Well, that's making a change to your enterprise. And now all the pretty much easy things are, are gone, uh, Drew. We now start doing things like uh, if you're a dairy farmer, uh, becoming a beef farmer or perhaps if you're into horticulture becoming a hydroponic or covered horticultural grower or something potentially harder is exiting your current enterprise uh, so you are a dairy farmer and you decide to completely stop that and, and go into something like cropping uh, or you start deciding to make a cidery on your farm and process some of your apples that were once being sold for fresh market into actual cider. The fourth one I understand has got something to do with capital. What's that? Exactly. So it's changing the capital base and that's perhaps buying more land that's what farmers have often done haven't they is just increase the size of their land holding to get those scales of operation but it might mean leasing land or getting off farm income for both your partner or your or yourself and then there's a real hard one which is potentially buying land somewhere else so completely changing your climatic region to try and get remove some of that climate volatility that you've experienced and heading south for instance uh, south of the great divide where it rains a bit more and perhaps a bit more reliably and dale the last one which is sometimes the hardest of all absolutely and that's ceasing farming making a decision to exit the industry uh, one we some people often don't want to talk about, but it's interesting because every farmer that uh, ceases what they're doing has historically played the part in the success of another farmer in Australia who takes over their land and keeps going it. Um, if you're lucky, they might actually let you do some of the work on it. So if you really like the work of farming, but you don't want the stress of the management, that might be an option for you. Or you could simply just choose to leave the industry. And farmers make very employable people with highly desired skills at the moment. Um, and you just don't have the stress of, you know, getting up at 6am or a frost or, uh, and rain just means you can't mow the lawn, Drew. These are the kind of things that people can think about. But it's interesting, when I've talked to farmers who've left the industry of farming, I've yet to meet one who kind of regrets making the decision. They all in said, I should have done it a lot earlier. That's a great reflection to wrap this up on, Dale. Dale Gray, Seasonal Risk Agronomist with Agriculture Victoria, thanks for taking the time and joining me in the Ag Vic Talk studio today. No worries, Drew. It's been really interesting. This concludes Season 3 of Ag Vic Talk, where we have taken you on a virtual climate bus tour to see how farmers are dealing with climate variability. We hope you've enjoyed this season and look forward to bringing you Season 4, Careers in Horticulture. Thank you for listening to AgVic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.